It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. Howdy. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. The show is made possible by patrons such as Catherine and Deborah, Manuel, Nick, Grant, Kim, Stephen, JK, Richard, Andy, all of y'all, I appreciate it. They became patrons to support the program. You can too. Just head on over to the PeteCallanerShow.com, click on the link, that'll do it. The show is also made possible by sponsors such as Mattress Man. Mattress Man, four locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. And for folks who aren't in this area, that's all basically the same area. It's all around Asheville. And uh, it's a local-owned business. Chuck is a great guy. He hires veterans, uh, donates mattresses to local charities. Uh, and he does so much of this stuff, he just does it sort of offline. Like, people don't even know. He doesn't make a big deal about it. I know this stuff because I've talked with him in the past about it. Um, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't self-promote like that. <laughs> it's not the kind of guy he is. Uh, but he does really great work. He's got a great business, and they got great mattresses, by the way. Like, they've got the only place you're going to find the Biltmore collection. I mean, aside, of course, from the Biltmore itself, uh, the only place you're going to find it here is Mattress Man, the Biltmore collection made by Restonic there in Fayetteville. So it's all, you know, North Carolina made. Uh, and these are high quality. I mean, they're luxury mattresses. These are in the Biltmore Hotel. So uh, you know what kind of quality you're getting. This is their line of mattresses. They also have all of the other kinds of mattresses. So if you're looking for um, memory foam mattresses, pillow top, natural latex, two-sided um hand-tufted, pocketed spring, traditional inner spring, whatever you're looking for, they've got uh, they've got all the mattresses. And all this month, they're doing the 000 financing deal. All this month, for the month of June, zero down, 0% APR for up to 24 months, and zero payments for 90 days. So no money down, no APR for two years, and uh, no payments necessary for the first three months through the end of the month. June 2020. Uh, great deals on great mattresses. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Head on over to their website, mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. You can also, of course, uh, learn more about Chuck and the business and get direct links and everything uh, at my page. I've linked up all of his stuff at thepetecalendarshow.com. So uh, you can find uh, connections there as well if you can't remember mattressmanstores.com. <laughs> Uh, but I kind of feel like I remember back in when when the interweb first started up, I remember uh, it being sort of difficult to get people to uh, go to a website specifically. And everybody was still way more comfortable with phone numbers and locations, you know, street addresses, stuff like that. <clears throat> and now a lot of advertising, you know, this right. It's just a website. It's not even uh, phone numbers anymore. Right, I know. This is all fascinating. It's just fascinating. Anyway, it's Friday. It's June 12th, and the Republican National Convention is out of Charlotte. Congratulations, Roy Cooper. Good job, everybody. Uh, well done. Uh, Democrats are very happy today in North Carolina. They're like, yes, we don't have to have those racists here. I'm not sure if they're still going to riot and burn down uh, Charlotte, because there are going to be a couple of meetings that the RNC is going to hold. Uh, so I'm not sure if 
I mean, that, you know, that sort of, you know, completely justifiable reaction to a political party's uh, convention. You ever notice it's never the right that does that sort of thing at the Democrats' conventions? Yeah, it's kind of interesting like that. It's almost like they use violence in order to suppress. Anyway, so the RNC is out of Charlotte. They're going to Jacksonville, Florida. They sent a letter to the city. I have not had a chance to read it. It's pretty lengthy. It's co- it goes over a lot of the contractual obligations um, that, you know, talking about the different entities involved and what they won't need anymore. And so, like, they're basically saying, stop spending any money. Don't do anything else. Do not hire more cops. Stop the planning. Like, we're not coming. It's not happening. They sent this letter to the city of Charlotte, to the Charlotte Hornets, because they, you know, run the... Uh, arena or their that's the spectrum center um and the host committee the charlotte 2020 host committee the host committee after getting the letter they sent out a statement and i have that the host committee says confirmation by the city of jacksonville that the republican national convention has moved is devastating news for the thousands of people who live in our community and work at our hotels, entertainment venues, and small businesses, expecting a boost from the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our good faith efforts to carry out our obligations under agreements made two years ago have been met with broken promises and disregard of the significant commitment from many partners across our region. We need to stop pretending that there's any part of the convention that will remain in Charlotte. Unfortunately, the convention has moved to Jacksonville due to decisions beyond our control. Kind of sad. Kind of sad. Very sad, actually. I was kind of looking forward to maybe heading on down to Charlotte for the convention, uh, or at the very least being able to, you know, interview a whole bunch of people that were coming through Charlotte, and that's not going to happen. And that's sad, you know. Um, I did, by the way, you know, when I was working at the radio station in Asheville, I went down to Charlotte for the democratic convention. It's actually like very early on, uh, I got hired at uh, WWNC in Asheville in 2012. And, uh, that summer I went back down to Charlotte and worked, uh, out of the uh, studios down in Charlotte. They were the iHeartRadio studios down there. And, uh, it's a big deal for a city. It's a, it, it would have provided a ton of economic investment. Now, why are they moving is because the governor and his health and human services secretary, Mandy Cohen, uh, they refused to allow Trump to do a rally in, in, in an indoor space in the arena. He wanted to do a rally inside and he didn't want any of the masks. And they're like, look, we're just going to give everybody these uh Uh, like a waiver, which is probably going to become sort of the new norm. You're going to have to sign a waiver if you're going to go to any kind of a major event. You'll have to sign a waiver that says you're not going to sue them if you get sick from COVID-19. So everybody's going to be well aware of the risks. And, you know, maybe there are people that don't want to go because of that. Uh, I don't know. But that's what Trump wanted to do. And you can think that's stupid. You can think it's reckless and dangerous and irresponsible and everything else. And that's fine. Then you know what? Don't go. Right. But most of the people who are saying that, by the way, are Democrats. They're saying that uh, Trump wanting to have this rally um, with all of the people in an arena without masks, without social distancing, uh, that uh, that this is all irresponsible and dangerous. And these are the same people that have been, if not 
outright ignoring it. They've been dismissing concerns over the tens of thousands of people that have been marching shoulder to shoulder, screaming and chanting and singing and breathing on each other in all of their protests. Again, as I always have to say whenever I make this point, I'm not saying that they uh, are not protesting for a good reason. This is not a commentary uh, on the reason for the protest. It doesn't matter. What matters is the standard of recklessness that supposedly is being met, right? That's the standard that the governor and his Health and Human Services Secretary have set. They say that when you're in a mass uh, gathering of more than 25 people outside, that COVID knows that the 26th person gets there and now, you know, boom, hot spot. This is the science and data and facts, oh my, that the uh, Cooper administration has been relying on uh, and has been telling us all, this is what we need to do. This is how we should approach our COVID response. Um, It's becoming pretty clear at this point that uh, this administration has really mismanaged COVID response. They've done a pretty poor job. And we're seeing the numbers now, you know, increasing. I don't want to say spikes because it's just been on a constant increase. And um, I will get to that in in a bit because the Buncombe County uh, Health Department, uh, they said yesterday that, hey, you know what? We need to uh, we need to have regular testing of all of the nursing homes. Yeah. Four months in. Four months in. Okay, Uh, so let me get back to the RNC and and finish this up. The convention and all of the events around it are expected to bring in uh, somewhere between 130 and 200 million dollars to now Jacksonville, not Charlotte, not North Carolina. Um, North Carolina lawmakers this week, they're in session, the General Assembly's in session, and they uh, they had proposed to require the state to allow a full scale convention in Charlotte. But on Wednesday, Two days ago, uh, they dropped the idea saying it was too late. Whether any of the convention, this is from the New York Times article, um, whether any of the convention other than Trump's speech is held in Jacksonville remains to be seen. So right now, what I have heard so far is that there is going to be, uh, there will be some sort of uh, like little meetings, you know, in order to, in order to comply, to comply with portions of the contract, they have to do certain things, I think, with, uh, their delegates in the city itself. And so I'm assuming that they're going to try to have some meetings or whatever there uh, and then do most of the, the big stuff in Jacksonville, move the, at, at, you know, the speeches or whatever. Um, again, a lot of economic investment that has been sent away. And it's interesting <clears throat> that, you know, Roy Cooper was a major reason why Charlotte lost the NBA All-Star game. You remember that over the HB2 bathroom bill? Cuz Roy Cooper went out and solicited help from a company called Salesforce, their CEO. Uh went out and made, well he made a call and <clears throat> talked to this guy and this guy's specialty when he's not running Salesforce is to uh whip up a mob of business leaders to force governments to adopt social justice warrior demands. 
And um, this was very effective on the HB2 front. Uh, It's been an effective tool that they use, particularly on LGBT issues, particularly before uh, gay marriage was legalized in the United States. So they they used that apparatus that this guy at Salesforce had been built up, you know, sort of Rolodex of uh, uh, enforcers. And, uh, you know, that's when you started seeing all the business cancellations and the left and the media. But I repeat myself, they uh, they uh, really engaged in a, a full court press to rob North Carolina of all sorts of economic incentives or uh, um, uh, economic development. Uh, you know, new business openings, recruitment, uh, retention efforts, all of that stuff. They they sought to harm the state economically uh, in order to apply pressure on Republicans to change the law. And then when Republicans felt that pressure and got wobbly and they went to some Democratic lawmakers and said, hey, let's work out a fix, the Democratic lawmakers, they then got calls from Roy Cooper, who was running for governor, and said, don't you dare work with the Republicans on a fix He needed the issue for the November election. So keep hurting people, keep hurting the economy, keep hurting businesses, because it helped Roy Cooper's personal political ambition. So now you look at this and people are like, I can't believe the governor did this. Well, I can. I can. Absolutely, I can. And I might have a different opinion about this had I not just seen two weeks worth of protesting, mass gatherings, rioting, looting, lawlessness, burning of cities and such, I might have a different opinion. Like, if there was a consistent application of this standard, if Roy Cooper and Mandy Cohen, uh, if Roy and Mandy had come out and they'd have been like, uh, hey, look, we get it, we understand, everybody's mad about the racism, everybody's mad about the white supremacy, uh, we're all mad about George Floyd's death, uh, we agree, but look, you can't do this, guys. You're spreading this deadly virus amongst yourselves you're going to kill each other and all your loved ones please stop please stop they didn't do that though no in fact quite the opposite roy cooper put a mask around one of his ears and strolled around town with his uh, well he was only around the block but he strolled around the block with the marchers to show solidarity with them and then he went and got a test only after the media asked him hey are you getting a test you know like a week later and then he gets a test he's negative good for him he's negative came back negative yesterday So Roy Cooper doesn't have the COVID, but that inconsistent application of standards means nobody's listening to you anymore on this stuff. We don't believe you. Why should we believe you? And either way, even if I do still believe you, um, the super spreading event has already occurred, man. Horses out of the barn, way, way out of the barn, across the pasture, over the mountain, probably swimming across the bay to get to that island off the coast that has all the horses at this point right like this this is is such a sorry a two week ago argument it is i will give them credit though i will give the left credit on this the way they pivot with complete shamelessness from everybody has to stay inside or you're going to kill grandma to everybody take to the streets or you support racism and then pivot right back like the next day to everybody has to stay inside or you're going to kill grandma. Like that ability to pivot as if you don't remember yesterday and the the things that you said and did yesterday. 
it really is impressive. Now, I think a lot of that is due to the lack of media coverage and consternation and scolding that the media usually does for Republicans in those situations. Like they'll always throw in, and you'll see this one too, like without evidence. That's a great example of how the media inserts a particular bias into a story. They will tell you what to think about a Republican's comments. They will say, you know, particularly with Trump, this is how they're, they've been doing it now for a couple months. You know, Donald Trump said, without evidence, dot, dot, dot. And uh, they, never, they never employ that for Democrats, even though Democrats say lots of things without evidence. But I digress. North Carolina is experiencing a surge of COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations during its second phase of reopening. This is the NPR report today. This has forced the state's health director to contend with the idea of a second shutdown. (laughs) That's not happening. Yeah, good luck. Not happening. You can't tell us to shut down after... We what we all just saw over the last two weeks. Again, I applaud the shameless pivoting as if yesterday didn't matter, but I refuse to be gaslit. I saw what happened with my own two eyeballs, and uh, yeah, no, not going back. Not going back. You guys have grossly mismanaged the response here. That's That's becoming very clear to me. Unless something changes, this is the trajectory that I'm on. Here's the path I'm on is that you guys have really mishandled this. I got to tell you, because like three months ago, almost four months ago, um, I remember having conversations with people because uh, uh, about uh, the governor's response and, and Mandy Cohen's response to all, uh, all of this and uh, people being very worried that, oh, man, Cooper's going to be tough to beat because he's doing so well. I had those conversations with many people. There were a lot of concerns that Cooper was doing such a good job at the very beginning. Yeah, I don't think this is going to turn out as people had thought, but I don't know. It doesn't feel that way anymore, though, right? It doesn't feel like he's doing a bang-up job on this. The longer this goes, the farther behind we are than every other state in America with reopening, and now losing the RNC, watching the protests, seeing Cooper walk around on the streets, and now trying to tell us, As Mandy Cohen said today on NPR's Morning Edition, quote, if we need to go back to stay-at-home orders, we will. Yeah, that's a joke. She says, I hope we don't have to. I think there are things we can do before we have to get there. But yes, we are concerned. Here's an idea. How about telling all of the nursing homes in the state that they have to mandatory test and then supporting those efforts? How about that? Just spitballing here. I know I'm just a podcaster and all, but... um. That might be a path worth exploring, because from what I understand, and again, I don't have access to all of the science and data. In fact, so am I that you do. But as I understand it, the vast majority of our cases, like two thirds of the cases, they're all in nursing homes, two thirds. And like 85 percent of the deaths in our county, um, in North in Western North Carolina, in Buncombe County, 85% of these COVID-19 deaths are in five nursing homes here. So um, how's about we focus on those facilities, right? Why don't we focus some of the, uh, the strategies and efforts on the nursing homes, right? The testing, the PPE, um, the serological tests. Why are we not doing that? 
testing, and not just the people who are residents at these facilities, but the workers as well. Test them all the time, constantly. Like, I would prefer you test them more often than the patients, than the residents at these nursing home facilities. You know why? Because they ain't leaving. Most of them stay there all day long. And so the only way they're going to get it is if somebody brings it into the facility. So it seems, again, I'm not an expert, but it seems like if you want to prevent the spread of the virus in a facility, you catch it on the way in. And the only way it's coming in is visitors, which they they stopped that months ago, can't visit these facilities. You can't visit your loved ones in these facilities. So who's who's bringing it in? It's the employees, right? And some of these employees work at multiple nursing home facilities and long-term care facilities. Why aren't we doing the same things? Uh, the same thing with jails? Just yesterday, how 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 long are we in this now? Four months, going on four months. Yesterday, Buncombe County health officials are now calling for COVID nineteen testing of all residents and healthcare personnel at local nursing homes regardless of whether they are showing symptoms of the illness. Wow. Great timing, guys. Really. Just in the nick of time or something. It is June 12th, and you are just now calling for testing of everybody in all the nursing homes, regardless of whether they're showing symptoms of the illness. Why hasn't this been going on for months? Why just now? Previously, this is the Citizen Times story by Mackenzie Wicker. Previously, the county health department declined to issue this guidance because state officials had not yet done so. And so I guess the state officials still haven't done so. What the hell is Dr. Mandy Cohen doing? What is going on at Health and Human Services that they are not even recommending this as guidance? Why? What am I missing? They recommended universal testing only in facilities that had experienced a lab-confirmed case of the illness. Again, horse out of the barn. That's when you start testing is only after somebody has a lab-confirmed case, which means what? Which means that they were already... Uh, infected and had been spreading pre-symptomatic by the time you got around to giving them a test. That got confirmed by a lab because it takes a day or two now to get the lab results back. So somebody has a positive test, but they've already infected people in the freaking facility. What am I missing here? How do I know this and they don't? This is what I mean. At some point, people need to wake up and recognize the real possibility that this administration has done a poor job of managing the response to this virus. I know that a lot of reporters don't want to entertain the idea, because Democrat and all, but my God, people, how have you let this guidance go for months without being articulated? The state still has not issued new guidance for baseline testing at nursing homes, but now Buncombe County has. 
A spike in local nursing home deaths, according to the Citizen Times, as well as an agreement among elected and public health officials that universal testing in all facilities would be beneficial, but health officials at the time said that a lack of necessary resources would present a barrier to implementing broader testing, even if the county recommended it. So they're saying, we wanted to do it, and we wanted to maybe do it earlier, but we didn't have the resources to do it. Well, who's in charge of allocating the resources? Who was the one who said we need to push all the resources to the hospitals? That was their call. That was the the administration's call. That was his coronavirus task force, who we still don't know who's on it, right? Who was advising Cooper to make these decisions and allocate all the resources? That's a Sprayberry question. That's Mike Sprayberry, uh, emergency management. That's a question for him. Why were you sending all of these resources all over the place when you knew that the hot spots were and the most lethal places for this outbreak was at the nursing homes? And why are you still not providing guidance? Why are you not mandating testing for all nursing home employees and residents every time they come in the building? Because that's one of the things that uh, they're saying here. Weekly testing of all staff. Weekly testing of staff at all facilities. That's the guidance. That's the recommendation that Buncombe County is giving. Weekly testing of staff. Once again, folks... If the virus isn't in the facility, you want to keep it out. How do you know if it's getting in? You test everybody on the way in. This seems pretty logical, so I guess that's why GovCo hasn't figured it out yet. Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice on how to be prepared for one? Are you looking for military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old-school, traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He's going to hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time. It's American-made because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear, Old Grouch is on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. Also, this show is made possible by Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Her phone number is 333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com. I have had good realtors. I've had experience with not-so-good ones. Rowena and her team, they're good ones. They're great ones, actually. They outsell 99% of the real estate agents in the entire state. Okay, call the only agent that I would call if I'm looking for a house or if I'm looking to sell my house. Call Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. And finally, the show is also made possible by Schaefer Smith. Have you seen the logo of the Pete Callender Show? He did that. If you're trying to set up your website, maybe you need a logo, call my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design. He can help you with logos, graphics, photos, an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance, and security. He does this for professional services, corporations, small businesses, entrepreneurs. If you know now the importance of having a good functional website, Get in touch with Schaefer Smith. Make your site look professional, user-friendly for both your customers and you so you can uh, navigate it and fix it and adapt to whatever the market demands. SchaeferSmith.com. That's SchaeferSmith.com. So Buncombe County Board of Commissioners Chairman Brownie Newman 
has said that Buncombe County should allocate county funds for these nursing home facilities where all the outbreaks are occurring um, if they need it. But it is unclear, according to the Asheville Citizen Times news report about this, uh, but it is unclear whether he has majority support on the seven-member county board and commissioners have yet to formally address the issue. (laughs) So... (laughs) Again, we're four months in. What the hell? We're four months in, and you still don't know if you've got support. Why are you just... Oh, my gosh. The uh, interim health director uh, of the county health department, Dr. Jennifer Mullendore, said that uh, Buncombe County has reached out to the state and is working to try to overcome the challenges of lack of funding, personal protective equipment, lab capacity, and personnel. There's also an issue with insurance providers refusing to cover the testing of COVID-19 under a variety of circumstances. Why is the county, why is the state not marshalling its efforts around nursing homes? Why? Why? Somebody going to ask these questions? But no, our health department, uh, Secretary of uh, Department of Health and Human Services, Mandy Cohen, uh, she goes on NPR this morning and says, hey, look, if we have to go back to phase one, you know, we we're, we might have to do that. Yeah, You've lost the consent of the governed. They're not going back. It's not happening. Uh, and uh, the reason why is because of the protests and the way you all responded to those protests. You gave them the green light to completely ignore all of your warnings. And they did so. They And so... It's not even a matter like at first, you know, there's the hypocrisy of it, the double standard of it all, the feeling like you're treating one child better than the other, like that whole thing. But uh, I've moved past that because what became you know, very obvious very quickly is the super spreading events have already happened. You guys allowed it to occur. You did not criticize it for occurring. Uh, so now any kind of attempt to say. Uh, that, oh my gosh, you can't do a Republican convention here, or oh my gosh, you can't have a uh, a, a race at this racetrack, which, by the way, the temporary restraining order uh, was granted. So now that racetrack in Alamance County, they can't hold races outside um, because of the spread of COVID-19. Right. Maybe if they riot and burn the freaking place down, maybe that'll be an acceptable uh, use of... Uh, their constitutional amendments, I don't know, or or constitutional rights. It's obvious to a lot of people what's going on. Uh, But the science is what I'm pointing to. Uh, The super spreading events have already occurred. They've occurred in all the big cities where all these protests occurred. So you cannot now tell people to stop uh, engaging uh, in sort of, uh, quote, normal activity, uh, you know, for risk of spreading the virus. It's too late. It's too late. It's already beyond. You've already lost whatever kind of semblance of containment you thought you had. You lost it. It's gone. You're not going to get that back. So um, let's see here. This was from Ray Nothstein from uh, from uh, the Civitas Institute, nccivitas.org. Headline, long past time to stop playing politics with the reopening. Um He points out the science and the data and the facts that those who are under the age of 25 have about a one in a million chance of dying from the virus. One in a million if you're under age 25. If you are under 30, uh, you're more likely to die of the flu. The death rate ticks up with age, but not dramatically for those with uh, no high-risk pre-existing conditions. Obviously, that doesn't mean it's not serious for 
you know, older and high-risk populations. He says one glaring frustration is the hysteria uh, with, some, with some of the media um, that's it's still prevalent, uh, or maybe it's just an inability to contextualize the data for consumers of news. All of us is pro- uh, have probably read or seen reports that sound the alarm on confirmed cases going up without pointing out that testing has dramatically increased or that the percent positive in the hospitalizations are down. On top of that, we see from some media outlets an inability to discuss the trade-offs, like having large portions of the economy still shut down. Some outlets offer very little to no discussion about small businesses that are being pulverized or decimated altogether. Uh, Ultimately, he says, I think the big takeaway is to be wary of putting your trust in politicians of either party when it comes to a public health crisis. Everything is so politicized now. And so here's the other thing. Um, Would the uh, protests have occurred uh, had there not been the lockdowns first? Right. Did the lockdowns basically create uh, the uh, the environment for the kinds of protests and the size of the protests and uh, the criminality, the rioting, the burning, the looting, like those elements, like were all of those things heightened because it was preceded by three months of quarantine, essentially, and people kind of went a little crazy. Right. A lot of people went crazy. It's still, by the way, it like I am convinced that uh, people have lost their minds because of the shutdown. Sincerely, I do. I think there are a lot of people who did not handle it mentally very well, and they've lost touch with reality. Uh, They've become essentially traumatized by uh, the shutdown. They were not their Their psyche could not handle it. I don't know why. I don't know how that. That works because my brain doesn't, but I'm sympathetic to people who have had some sort of a break because of the quarantines. Um, and so when the opportunity presented itself for pe- for people to direct their anger, because before it was very difficult to direct your anger at, you know, some virus, and it was hard to direct your anger at the people who were like, please stay inside or you will die. Like, you can't get mad at them. They're trying to save your life. So, like, who do you get mad at? What do you get mad at? you're just mad, right? And then all of a sudden you've got this horrific event that occurs. Cop kills a guy in the street. It's all videotaped for everybody to see. Clear, wrong act. And everybody can be mad. And it's just like the pressure valve blows, right? So the Washington Post had a story the other day uh, essentially asking this question. Well, the headline was, the nexus between coronavirus and protests. The virus was the kindling and the police brutality lit the fire. All right. Um, And they say the clash between the need to take precautions against the virus and the desire to take part in the protests uh, came home to Kitaw Damasi when his 13-year-old daughter asked if they could join a demonstration. Damasi, a physician who is dean of the School of Public Health at the State University of New York Downstate, said his daughter understood the risk of infection, quote, but the anger and the isolation from the stay-at-home order combined to make her and other young people feel the need to go out. The isolation, because honestly, like, if you've got a teenager and they're like, I need to go out and protest racism and injustice, like, How do you say no to that? Like, (laughs) no, Uh, don't you dare uh, take a stand against racism and injustice. The isolation of the past three months increased 
uh, increases anxiety, depression, and also symptoms of indignation. Demonstrating peacefully helps people do something with their anger, says DeMassey. Um, So he and his daughter decided to join a group of physicians protesting in their white coats in Manhattan using protection and social distancing, he added. For many years, protests against racial bias have erupted anew after each incident of police brutality that gains national attention. But this time, DeMassey said, the explosion of outrage is louder in part because, quote, the interaction with the virus shutdown is fueling these protests. DeMassey understands why people feel compelled to protest. After all, he's joining a crowd himself. But he remains, quote, very sure that this will have a big impact on the number of virus cases. There really is no social distancing in these demonstrations. And that's why nobody is going to go along with another kind of lockdown. Any effort that this Health and Human Services Secretary in North Carolina, any effort that she attempts to make, it's going to be met with with greater resistance. People are done with y'all. I'm not sure that the administration realizes how done people are. And this is bipartisan, by the way. You, because like, and I know Twitter isn't the real world. I'm fully aware of that. Um, but, but it's a, it, it's a good trend. And so I don't necessarily look at what people are saying. I look at, uh, what kind of heat and fire is around a particular issue or narrative. And at the beginning, three months ago, Holy Toledo, there were people all over the place, all on Facebook and social media. They were, you know, directly making the uh, argument and accusation that if you left your house, you were trying to kill people. Uh, And you don't see that anymore. None of those arguments are made anymore. Every now and again, I'll see somebody make a comment about, oh, you know, they're just trying to protect people. Like that's that's the mealy mouth response that we get now because everybody saw what happened. And and, And the people who are making those very arguments, they were the ones out there protesting. So they, they, they intrinsically know that they're going to be called a hypocrite if they attempt to make these arguments now. And again, more so than the hypocrisy, um, the spread has already occurred. It, you know, wh- whatever COVID-19 needed uh, to spread around the, uh, the society, it got over the last two weeks. So the county, Buncombe County uh, and the state, uh, although the county is actually ahead of the state on this, uh, now says, hey, nursing homes, y'all should require, um, we're recommending that you nursing homes should do these testing uh, 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 of all the patients and weekly testing of the people who would be most likely to bring the virus onto campus. Um, so Buncombe County is saying that still no guidance from the state health department, let alone a mandate. Uh, no, they'll mandate all the businesses be closed. Isn't that an amazing um, idea that the governor and his health and human services secretary, they are powerful enough to shut down every business in the state. They are powerful enough to tell a racetrack operator that he cannot hold races once a week, but apparently they're not powerful enough to tell nursing homes, which are actually under the direct regulatory supervision of the health department, uh, they can't tell them to test everybody every day. Anybody who tries to get on campus, they get tested. They don't have the authority. They don't have the power to mandate that. Interesting. Very interesting. Maybe somebody will figure this out at some point. Maybe some reporter uh, will figure out, huh, this is weird. Why aren't they targeting the places where all of this stuff is happening? So Buncombe County, four months in, they finally have clued into this, and they're recommending that the nursing homes do this four months in. That came after they moved on the Confederate statue issue. (laughs) So 
you know, well, you got to have priorities, right? Got to have priorities. The county um, is working, has been working to get the Confederate statues taken down. Yeah, they uh, now it hasn't gone to the county commission vote yet, so we still don't know if there's going to be enough votes to support that. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes, because there are four Democrats that control the county commission. So, yes, this is going to happen because the city council unanimously voted for it uh, at their meeting this week. And so next week, the Buncombe County commissioners, the four Democrats minimum, there may be some Republicans that join them, but uh, the four Democrats, they will do this. They will sign on to this resolution, and I have it here. Um, let's see. Do, do, do. Request is hereby made to the United Daughters of the Confederacy to immediately remove the two Confederate monuments located at the Buncombe County Courthouse and Pack Square. If said removal is not completed within 90 days from the date of full adoption of the resolution, then the city of Asheville and Buncombe County shall take action to remove the monuments. All right, so these are on city and county land. Um, there is a state law that says you got to get approval from the state and their historic commission or whatever the you know Department of Culture and Resources, Cultural Resources. Uh, you got to get a, you got to get state approval to remove these types of monuments. Um, I'm not a fan of that law. I, I mean, I understand if it's on state property, then yes, the state should be the determining. Uh, authority uh, about the the removal or installment of any monument. It's state grounds. But uh, if it's on city property or county property, I don't think the state should be telling the local jurisdictions what to do on that. And I understand the argument that, you know, cities and counties are uh, administrative units of the state. So technically, the state has the authority to tell cities and counties they can't remove a statue because you know the state is the wellspring of authority the state is the seminal authority so they get to tell cities and counties what they can and cannot do uh, i just don't think they should be doing this i don't i think if one town wants to have a monument to somebody uh, and they put it up and then uh, a couple years later the town's like you know what uh, that person turned out to be uh, a pedophile let's take him down uh, i don't think the state should be saying no 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 you can't do that which is essentially what's going on here right um but right, but it's only about Confederate statues. That's the thing. It's only about Confederate statues. Because if, because uh, was it down in Mecklenburg County? Was it the Walton Center, the Walton Plaza, whatever? I think it's still called Walton, named after a guy who was accused of some, you know, indecent liberties with minors and stuff. But he was a Democrat, so it's all okay, I guess. Um, I think his name is still on the building. But they shouldn't need state approval for that. If they want to change it, they should. Uh, now, I understand also the counter-argument here and the cultural revolution aspects of these things, uh, that uh, people are trying to erase history. And make no mistake about it, they are. That is exactly what they're trying to do. Um, and you have this you know, communist manifesto playbook uh, where you get rid of all of the, uh, the past so people don't know what their past is, and then you can write everything in the present, and you can control the population that way. I, I, I understand that, too. I also understand that me being from New York, a lot of Southerners will dismiss my opinion on the statues. <laughs> I understand that as well. Uh, I can see all of these angles. I still don't think that the state should be telling cities and counties what statues need to stay up, right? Because when the daughters of the Con uh, United Daughters of the Confederacy, when they made their donations of the monuments, they didn't make them to the state of North Carolina, did they? They made them to the state to the city and the county. That's why they're on the county courthouse steps. That's why they're there. Right? They they weren't donating them to the state. 
Um, so anyway, that's the that's the first thing. And those two statues are, um, whereas there's one. Uh, one is honoring the 60th Regiment of North Carolina Confederate Soldiers. That's in front of the county courthouse. Uh, and then there is another monument known as the Robert E. Lee Dixie Highway Colonel John Connolly Marker. And that is at Pack Square, and that's on city-owned land. Um, so those are the first two. Then the other in the resolution, a jointly appointed task force shall be established by the Asheville City Council and the Buncombe County Commission, consisting of not more than 12 members whose appointments will be made in equal numbers by the two governing boards, so six from the city, six from the county, and the task force shall, within three months of all appointments being made, provide a report to the city council and the county commission with a recommendation regarding the removal and or repurposing of the Vance Monument, named for Zebulon Vance. Um, once the report is presented, the, the task force shall perform such other duties as requested. Uh, when no further action is requested, the task force shall dissolve. And uh, so this is, I have questions about this. First off, who's going to be on the task force? I understand it's six and six. So six appointees from the seven member county commission and six appointees from the seven member city council. Easier on city council, obviously, because they're all leftists. But on the county commission, you actually have three Republicans over there. So at least for the time being, they'll all be gone soon, thanks to all of the uh, court rulings on redistricting, because uh, those are fair maps. Fair maps require that the Republicans in Buncombe County have zero representation. That's a fair map, Democrats say. I mean, that's what the Democrat judges said. Anyway, um, the, uh, the, the makeup of this body, six and six, are you going to have anybody who's actually pro-Confederate monument? Are you going to have anybody there that's going to take that position or espouse that side of the argument? I doubt it. I do. I, I doubt that they're going to bring somebody in there like that. They're going to bring people in with the viewpoint that automatically assumes the the monument needs to come down. And then they're just going to argue over how best to do so and how to get state approval to do so. Once the report is presented... Um, sorry, uh, once this uh, resolution is passed, I should say, by the county, because it passed the city, it's now up for the county to decide, until such time as the monument is removed or repurposed, it shall be shrouded in order to reduce its impact on the community and to reduce the risk of harm it presents in its current state. So, and for folks who aren't aware, the Vance Monument, if you've ever been to Asheville, uh, you know, if you've been to the Pack Square, sort of the, the center part of downtown, it's at the top of the hill. It's where all the buskers are. Um, well, okay. Well, one of the places, because the Grove Arcade is the other area, Wall Street. Anyway, um, the Pack Square Park, the monument, is the thing that looks like the Washington Monument. It's this big stick, you know? It's like this big stone obelisk. Uh, I don't know. It's like 30, 40 feet tall or something. And um, it's, you know, it's white and it stands right in the middle of uh, this, uh, right, right at the sort of the, the top of the hill, right in downtown Asheville. And Zebulon Vance uh, was from Buncombe County. He was like the only Buncombe County person ever uh, to be governor of the state, I believe. And he just happened to be the governor at the time of the Civil War. And he was a you know racist and slave owner. Um, but also, uh, when he was caught by the Union troops, interesting story, caught by the Union troops, he, um, uh, they, because they, he was kind of a large fellow, rotund, and they had him um, march to, I think, the train station where he was going to get on the train taken to Washington, D.C. to, like, stand trial or whatever. And 
Uh, so they made him walk because he was fat. And they were like, ha ha, let's make him walk. Hey, lose some pounds, fatty. You know, like they they made him walk. And this guy comes along in a, in a horse and carriage or whatever. And he was like, please, you know, like this is degrading. Like, can I just give the guy a ride? Like, I've got a carriage here. You guys can ride with me and I'll just, you know, take him to the uh, to the train station with you. And uh for some reason they let him do that and so uh they he takes the he takes vance to the train station and the guy who did this was jewish and so while they were um while they were on the road they chatted a bit and then vance gets to the station and he goes up to dc whatever but afterwards he then writes this speech or book it's kind of the same and he goes around the country delivering this speech i think it's called like the scattered nation or a scattered nation and he's um uh, and he's preaching for for tolerance not for black people he's still a racist but for jews he's like jews are people too like literally he's out there telling protestant white people like hey everybody jewish people aren't so bad <laughs> he does the, he does this speech this speech he delivers, like I said, all over the country to sold-out theaters, right? And it made such a lasting impact in American history in breaking down anti-Semitism and uh, and tamping down anti-Jewish sentiment, uh, and it, such an impact that there were, like, Jewish dignitaries, or uh, not dignitaries, but... Um, uh, like very wealthy and and connected and elite Jewish people. The one I remember off the top of my head is Stearns from, uh, he was like a, a big wig at Macy's, I believe. And then he went and started his own department store called Stearns. Uh, I think it was him. And he, he would come down uh, like every uh, every year and they would lay wreaths at the, the Vance Monument in Nashville. They would come down once a year, make a pilgrimage to this monument. And Jews apparently did this from like all over the country. They would come down and lay wreaths and and honor and thank Zebulon Vance in this way. I mean, he was long dead, but it was a way they honored him for what he did for them. And again, I've said this before, I'm sure African-Americans wish that Vance would have done something like that for them too. But instead, he did not. He was a racist. Now, do I say this because I think, uh, you know, don't, don't take down all of the Vance stuff? I'm not saying that. I'm just pointing out people are complex. People are very complex. And when you try to judge people by modern standards, you know, people from uh, from the olds, as the Red Guard uh, revolutionaries in China uh, would call them, the olds, when you try to judge that stuff by modern standards, it's a slippery slope. It really is. And as I always ask when we come to these uh, questions of the monuments, I would be more willing, and I think a lot of people would be more willing uh, to explore the removal of certain statues uh, if there was some sort of limiting principle that the left seemed to be willing to apply, but they don't. There is no limiting principle. There are no brakes to pump on this. It starts with the statues. Actually, it started with the flag, but it starts with the statues, and it starts with the easy, ethically easy calls. Oh my gosh, this guy founded the Klan. Let's take his statue down. Everybody would pretty much say, yeah, okay, I agree with that. I do. I don't think you should have a statue for the Klan founder in your town center. That's just me. But that's a that, 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 that's a pretty popular position. Okay, but what, what happens after you take down all of the Confederate statues? Are, what about just racists? People who were like around before uh, 
the Confederacy, people who were around like at the founding of the nation, people who were around like for how long before the founding of the nation, right? Do you go Jefferson? Do you go Washington? Um, how about, you know, before pre-revolutionary times? How about, do we, all right, here you go, North Carolina. North Carolina named for King Charles I. King Charles I uh, actually created uh, the... Uh, uh, signed the papers to allow for uh, the uh, the the slave trade to really get cranking up. Yeah, I was, and, and that's what North Carolina was named after. And I know it sounds weird, but Carolus is the Latin word for Charles, and so that's what they named it because he gave the grants for the land here. Um, so, so like, what's the limiting principle here? And when you start asking that question, where does this end? Lefties usually just bail on the conversation. They just they want to keep turning it back on you, saying, "Oh, you're defending slavery. You're defending racists and Confederacy and all this other stuff." And I'm not. Like I'm, I'm actually open to the idea of taking a lot of these things down. But where does this stop exactly? Because I saw you guys pull down a whole bunch of Christopher Columbus statues too, and he wasn't part of the Confederacy. Where does this stop? What's the limiting principle? That's all. And I think that I think that that's a legitimate question to ask. You 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 call these uh, you call the Confederates uh, you call them traitors, right? That they seceded. Okay. By that standard, what about the folks who are now occupying six blocks of Seattle and have declared themselves to be an autonomous zone, which means they're not part of America any longer, right? They're policing. First thing they did was put up barriers to surround themselves with, aka a wall, and they're policing themselves with uh, semi-automatic rifles. Right. So, um, what about them? Same deal with them. They're no longer Americans. They're now traitors too. Is that how that works? I'm just curious. Right. What's the limiting principle? All right. That's a wrap for this episode and this week. Please remember subscribe to the free podcast. And if you want to leave a review, I'd appreciate that. And consider becoming a patron of the program. You get cool stuff. You get exclusive content like the live streams we do weekly. Links are all at thepetecalendarshow.com. Also, it's all in the description here of the podcast. Thanks so much for your support. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.